Attention, attention please, attention please, dedicated educators. Yo, everyone knows that being an educator requires an incredible amount of time and effort, making it tough to prioritize our own personal financial planning on top of that. There are other things too. That's why I want to introduce you to my guy um, and his amazing partner, a trusted financial planner who specializes in working with educators like us. Meet Alex Sierra, a certified financial planner with Satera Investors. He provides educators with planning for the most important financial milestones of their lives. He has a deep understanding of the important strategies related to teachers and our retirement, the school pension system, and retirement programs specifically for teachers. By taking the time now to work with Alex, you can lay a solid foundation for your financial goals and secure a brighter future. Don't let the busyness of the school year hold you back from achieving your financial dreams. Alex's website um, is a place where you can go to learn more, www.toryandalex.saterrainvestors.com slash 2dope, T-O-O-D-O-P-E to schedule an initial virtual consultation. And here's the best part. Mention the discount code 2DOPE during your first consultation to receive a 25% discount on their subscription-based financial planning packages. Click the link in the description section of this podcast for more information. Remember that your financial success is just as important as your student's success, so start putting together your financial plan today. Satera Investors is the marketing name of Satera Investment Services. Securities and insurance products are offered through Satera Investment Services, LLC. Doing insurance business in California is CFG STC Insurance Agency, LLC. Member FINRA slash SIPC. Advisory services are offered through Satera Investment Advisors, LLC. California insurance license number 0 L05650. Alexander Sierra is located at 155 North Lake Avenue, Suite 430, Pasadena, California, 91101, and can be reached at phone number 626-408-1333, extension 306. Microphone. It is I, Hidarko Hinojos, your 2021 forever Colorado Teacher of the Year, um, here on the most dangerous podcast in the schoolhouse. Here we are remixing the conversation on race, power, and education. Hey, listen, y'all, um, this is, I'm really excited to bring you this conversation today. Um, I'm always, as you know, I talk to everybody, try to be friends with everybody, try to learn about everybody's story and what they're into. And so there is an individual that I see at work every day, almost every day. I feel like I see you every day. Um, and we've been sort of chatting on and off about all things um, AI. So this is going to be a lot of fun. So I'd like to take this moment and introduce to you the man with um, probably the coolest title in this entire district. This is, I, I keep wanting to call you the Minister of Information, but that's not where you are. You are 
Dr. Richard Charles, the Chief of Information for Denver Public Schools. Welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much, Gerardo. It's nice to uh, be on the podcast. I'm looking forward to our conversation. And so the technical title is Chief Information Officer. Chief Information Officer. That's what it is. Um, And it's all things IT. I love it. And um, and so it's really cool. So the first time that I think you and I connected around AI was when my team was giving a presentation to the district leadership team. And one of the questions you posed was, hey, so you all doing anything with AI in teacher development? And I was kind of like, we're not. We should. Um, so before we kind of get into that, um, because I think you have a lot of really important insights Um, Let's talk a little bit about just what brought you into educational spaces. So I'll tell you a bit about my journey. I'm a a native of Trinidad in the West Indies. Okay. Born there. Yeah. um, Have family in Venezuela. Okay. um, Came to the United States as a young lad and uh, did my schooling in New York City. All right. Went to PS 143. Okay. Which is now called the Louis Armstrong School, I believe. All right in Corona and uh, went to junior high school 73 in Maspeth, okay. Queens, and then um, went to Flushing High School. Yeah. So I did Flushing High School and uh, then went off to college and uh, went off to uh, RPI, Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute. Yeah, the, okay. The big engineering school. Yeah. Um, and then when I uh, took a break from there, I did some work in the technology space, doing some work in uh, telephone servicing and things of that nature. Yeah. I wasn't sure that college yeah. was for me at the time. Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, when I got back, I wrapped up an undergraduate degree in in uh, mathematics and pure mathematics. Okay. Which point I came out to uh, Colorado to do an internship with someone I had met, a gentleman by the name of Dr. Ed Freeman. Okay who's no longer with us, mm. unfortunately, but um, he was one of the first um, African-Americans to graduate, if not the first, with a, a degree in cognitive psychology from, I think it's I think it was UCLA. Um, uh, so that was a PhD in, in cognitive psychology. And so he was doing a lot of work in AI back then. Mm. We met at an AI conference Interesting. in Fort Lauderdale. Uh, this was back in 92 and then um he invited me out to work on some ai projects with him and wow. that's how i started off in in the tech industry um did that for about 10 years in a variety of settings and then ended up being um met my wife and then who's an educator okay and uh, since we wanted to start a family, she said it would be nice for us to have vacations at the same time. And that good stuff. And so <laughs> yes, that's exactly what we did. That's and what you did. So I, I made the transition to um, to education, and it and it was very rewarding. Yeah. Um, and so I I started off in a local school district, and then joined DPS about four or five years ago. Now. Okay. So coming up on five years, and really excited about the work that we're about to take. That's great. We're <clears throat> we're lucky to have you. Um, and you know, you're a person who is pretty well known, not just in DPS spaces, but in other spaces around around this area. And some of the words that people have used to describe you are 
brilliant, like someone who just has this really great eye for this this kind of work. Um, moving into <clears throat> the conversation about AI, I'm sure listeners will be really surprised to hear you say that you started working on AI things and you got connected at a conference in 1992. That's so that would probably surprise a lot of people who think that ChatGPT was the emergence of, of AI. So what did AI look like in 1992? Yeah, it's a great, great uh, question. So um, back in 92, when I moved out here to work with uh, Dr. Ed Freeman at the time, he was working for a local telecommunications company. I think it was called U.S. West. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember so U.S. West. We were Advanced <laughs> Technologies in Boulder. And yeah. it was really a leading outfit. The idea was that it would be the AT&T Bell Labs of the West. Okay. And so that's really that research mindset is what uh, they were building around that facility. Right. So um, back then... Um, what we were situated in the building is still situated. I think it's 4001 Discovery Drive, still situated on the campus of CU Boulder. Okay. And it may be repurposed now. Yeah. I think the last time I was there, there were the real estate folks were in there. I guess, <laughs> so it may be repurposed. But yeah. um, back then, uh, the languages, as an undergrad, what I was learning was um, things like prologue mm. and lisp. And all of these languages that had to do with um, artificial intelligence at the time. That's, okay. that's the flavor of artificial intelligence. And yeah. to your point, it was a, a Dartmouth University conference in 1954 where the term artificial intelligence was Really? Born. So it's a it's way, so way, way back. <clears throat> this but, is just like finding out the internet was a thing in the Second World War, yeah. right? If you're, if you're not somebody who's in a STEM field or in the technology sector, yeah. you know, again, we may we may think that Al Gore was in the room when it was invented, That's right? Exactly. That's exactly right. So, so yeah, so you're talking all the way back to 19. Yeah, it goes way back then. Um, but at the time, um, what I was brought out to work on was something called the Programmer's Apprentice. There's a, mm -hmm. um, a researcher in mathematics and computer science by the name of Dr. Charles Rich, believe okay. it or not. Okay. <laughs> right that's um, amazing and so um did y'all you were like wait yeah wait yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love and that. i never got a chance to meet him i did communicate with him uh, quite a bit based yeah. on his research but his idea was to have something called a programmer's apprentice mm -hmm. and it was using um programming languages to to uh, be able to anticipate and build code segments mm -hmm. Um, so it's funny because when a few years ago, I would say probably around 2000 and uh, I'm trying to think maybe 15 or so, okay. 2015, 16, um, I remember Google was making this big announcement that they had solved automatic programming. They were able to do it. And so I'm like, well, that's not original because I remember working on this stuff back in the day. And <laughs> right. so I reached out to Dr. Rich and he said, well, thank you so much, Dr. Charles, for, <laughs> for reaching out and reminding the rest of the world mm. that, you know, I was doing this stuff way back when. Yeah. So this none of this stuff is new. Yeah. Of course, the technology has advanced significantly. I think the, the biggest um the biggest factor right now that has changed everything in, in a great way is our ability to do computation at a very large scale. Right. 
Um, so companies like NVIDIA, um, especially during the pandemic, had to do some significant work to support all right. of the online demands that we were right. having during the pandemic. Yeah. And so as they were building out all of those things, and prior to that, you know, there was some pockets of research that was occurring. Sure. But they um they really allowed these graphics cards to be able to handle more and more stuff. Yeah. So you have Bitcoin and yeah, and for yep. Bitcoin and all of that stuff. That all of that is That's computational so power. Okay. Prior to all of that work, um, I took part in um, a major uh, project. I can't remember. I think it was called. I'll need, I'll just get you the name. But yeah, it, it was basically finding prime prime numbers. Okay. It's a huge mathematical community. Yeah, yeah. And just finding prime numbers. Just distributed computing. Interesting. Is what it was based. This is great. I'm see, I'm here like a, a history teacher saying, "Whoa, I don't know what that is, but cool. That sounds amazing." Yeah, and so they, um, you download a kernel onto your machine, and it would be running in the background when you're not using your machine. Uh huh. And it would be working with a host of other compute distributed computers. Okay. Confirming whether or not numbers were prime, and if you were lucky, you would have. Um, it would find a prime number, and then your name, if your computer was no used, way. would be associated with oh, it. That's so cool. So <laughs> that whole notion was yeah. around for a number of years prior to yeah. all of what we're seeing today. Yeah. But a lot of that was dependent on the fact that we needed compute power to be able to do a lot of it. Work. So fascinating. Um, so in a minute, I'm going to have you kind of make your case for why we in education should not be afraid of AI. But before we get to that, um, where are, because I'm learning a lot just in terms of where artificial intelligence may be seen, where might we see it just in our regular everyday works with technology? Yeah. Um, let's see. So I would say, I feel like in our regular work, I mean, it, our phones, <laughs> our phones have it, right? Yep. You, you know, you have, um, Alexa. You have Siri, you have all of these versions of these assistants yep. that came out many years ago. Yeah. And really, when you think about artificial intelligence, the, the definition um, is really anchored in, can you simulate the ability to think like a human being, mm -hmm. right, and to solve problems um, in a more complex manner, a more complex definition. But... Right. Can you simulate human thinking is really what artificial intelligence is all about. Right. So those were the first attempts at that. Now, okay. they were very impressive at the time. I yeah. don't know if you remember, I remember when the, it first came out. I remember the Martin Scorsese um, commercial uh -huh. where he's um, where he's in the back of a car and he's talking to his phone. And one of the things he, say, he says is, Siri, is that Jesse? And then it shows Jesse's like you know, location. That's and right. It's like, oh, it's not him. Yeah. <laughs> so he's having this whole conversation with Siri. One of my earlier memories of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, so yeah, th those are basic examples of, of how AI is being done. Um, a lot of what we experience in media is, and social media in particular, yep. is anchored in AI machine learning. So recommendation systems is a great example of that. Mm -hmm. um, and so... When you go on Netflix, yep. any one of those media companies, they are going to be making recommendations based on yep. your zip code 
and what's popular. Oh, so we just what I've been watching. Yeah. Oh, it starts there. I mean, there there, there are a host of different ways to do that. Uh Um, Looking at your past history is one way. Another way is to um, really look at at uh, your your locale yeah. and determine whether or not this is popular for your region. It like triangulates all these different factors and then when you look at the the speed of computation, it just does that stuff instantaneously. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's so, kind of like Amazon where it's like, hey, you might like this. Correct. And, Amazon is using AI as and well. And frequently I'm like, I would like that. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> right because they, they, they're tracking your likes and dislikes. Yeah. And then they're also looking at uh, some folks who have the same pattern that you've established in terms of your purchases over the number of months or years. Yeah. And they say, okay, what did this person purchase next? And look at that. They purchased this. Maybe Gerardo would like this as yep. well, right? And that's the sort of thing that they do. So Got it. it's all around us. Yep. It's been around us for a long time. Yeah. Um, in some uh, crude sense, you can say that an if-then statement, if you're a programmer, is a great example of that, mm-hmm. right? So any decision point that a human is making, the computer can make as well. So Even down to something as simple as you're typing an email and and it suggests... A yeah. way to complete that sentence. Okay. It's the same kind of thing. Yeah. So I, I think that's such an important point because I think there have been folks, and I think maybe some of the some people's knowledge is deepening a little bit now, but there have been a lot of folks who feel like like AI is just kind of like what would most def call it like some monster in the in the countryside, you know, coming down to harass the people every yeah. now and then and that kind of thing. Um when it comes to AI and education. Should people be scared? <laughs> <laughs> Particular educators. Well, there, there. I think, I, I think there are benefits to using AI, and there's some significant concerns as well, mm-hmm. right? As with any new technology that's that's coming down the pike, so really important. Wanted to just double back and and, and give you a good sense um, of some more of my background. Yes. And so when I came out to Colorado, I worked on my master's degree and PhD in applied mathematics. Yeah. And so at CU Boulder. And so I've got a chance to work on a lot of um, numerical analysis algorithms and things of that nature on, on how to do many of these things and computing was a part of that program. Yeah. Um, but the 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 prime number uh, program, if your viewers or listeners are interested, it's called GIMPS. It's the Great Internet Mersenne Prime Search. And you can go to M E M as in Michael, E as in Echo, R as in Romeo, S as in Sierra, E as in Echo, N as in Nebraska, N as in Nebraska, E as in Echo.org. And if you're interested in being a part of that, all exponents, look at that. Um, yeah, we are so linking example. this in the show notes. <laughs> we are so linking this. Y'all got to get into I'm this. I'm just telling you. And yeah. so what happens is, you know, you leave your computer on, mm-hmm. and instead of it just being idle, mm-hmm. it's actually solving a problem. Wow. And these prime numbers are really important when it comes to things like cryptography and those sorts of things. So, so tell me about that. So what is it? You know, we, we all learned prime numbers in a yeah. very, you know, very basic way in school. Yeah. Why are prime numbers important? Well, they're important because, um, as you know, a prime number has itself and one as the only 
factors. Right. Right. And so there's no other factors. As opposed to a composite number that has a number of other factors associated sure. with it. The reason why prime numbers mm -hmm. are important is that they have some very interesting properties, mm -hmm. right? So the larger that uh, you go in terms of prime numbers, you um, can embed some of that technology into some encryption keys. Okay. How that's done is usually um, a multi-step process, but involves, you know, hexadecimal and binary conversions of those numbers. That's what I was just going to say. No, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that so that you can so that you can really make it difficult for for bad actors. To be Interesting. Able to so that. it's security aspect of it. Big security. Yeah, aspect that's so pretty exciting stuff. Uh -huh. um, and there's a you know there, there are giants in the field that that are in that are doing some incredible work. One of them um, is a professor by the name of. Uh, Terence Tao. Mm -hmm. He's at UPenn, another mathematician I would strongly recommend. He's the genius of our time uh, times a million. All right. Um, okay. he, he has a broad swath of work yeah. and has done a number of, of uh, significant uh, accomplishments and papers in, in identifying bounds for certain numbers and things and yeah. certain computations. So, yeah. wow. and prime numbers, he describes as the you know, if you can really understand the DNA of, of prime numbers, then like the twin prime pairs and all of that good yeah. stuff, um, then there's some significant benefit to wow. it. So all this work is about that. And but as I said, he's done multiple fields of yeah. mathematics. I truly I kind of wish I had done this conversation with you four years ago when my kid was like, What do I need math for? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah like because i think that and and it's interesting because i've always kind of like so i was a kid who was really skilled at at the math that was put in front of me i don't understand why yeah. and when people would ask me to explain my process it it didn't translate that way it was like i just did the thing yeah. like i just it just clicked like that but what you're explaining to me is making me think about how there are these kind of there are these like infinite universes available to us through mathematics that aren't really available through a lot of other things. And to say nothing of, you know, you get yourself into some of these more esoteric, not esoteric, that's not the word I'm looking for, but abstract mathematical concepts. And there's so many different things you can do with that. It must like kill your soul when people say, I hate math. <laughs> <laughs> it does. It's you know, it's, it's called the mathematician's apology. Um, uh, mathematician by the name of Hardy wrote a book called exactly that and describes um, how what most people hear, what most mathematicians hear after you do an introduction. Right. Is, you know, I used to be good at math, mm -hmm. but then something happened. Right. So, um, I, I need to apologize on behalf of mathematicians <laughs> who did not bring our students along. Um, but math was a challenge for me initially, mm. you know, as it would be for most people. Right. Until you start making some of the connections there. And so I'm passionate about doing that. Yeah. Um, so so your your question then uh, was about, just remind me again. Sorry. Yeah. So the question is kind of around the area of, I think I framed it as, should we be scared of AI should, should as educators? Yeah. But I think the broader question, and I think you actually framed it even better. Um, what are the 
what are the possibilities and the and the concerns that yeah. we know because i think folks if you if you follow dr charles on social media particularly on linkedin that's where i see a lot of what you post this is not somebody who is just categorically rah 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 ai you, the stuff that you post is really nuanced and really fascinating and i think you bring a criticality into that that line of thinking but but categorically you're very interested in its possibilities so maybe outline a little bit of what those possibilities are and what some of the concerns might be. Yeah, so I'll start with the possibilities. I'll start with the positive, right? So yep, yep. Um, first of all, having the ability to have a, a thought partner in any subject area mm-hmm. for teachers is significant in, in any form, right? So... Um, if that is the teacher planning process, if it's the instructional process, mm-hmm. if it is the assessment, every aspect of teaching, you now have that as a possibility, wow. which is pretty powerful. Never even thought of it as, as a thought partner, but that's exactly, we were talking about that off mic, yeah. that it's exactly what it is. Yeah, that's that's what it is. That's yeah. what it can be. Um, and how good of a thought partner that is gets into all of the nuance about how to go about you know, prompting something like a chat, chat GPT to be an effective partner because you're only as good as, as what's put into it. Right. And so um, understanding the nuances of the, the the large language model that... Like the input. The input. What prompt would yield what result? Yep. Um, those sorts of things. And I think we're, as general consumers, we're getting better at that. We're going to get even better at it um, because... OpenAI and other uh, companies have now opened up the whole ability to create some of these GPTs as a part of the work. And so they too are learning. They're doing a lot of research on the back end and seeing some results. The more people that are trying these things out, the more that they learn about it on the back end. So so having that as a tool in and of itself is awesome. Also think about the fact that um, I saw a study recently that said that um, something like ChatGPT uh, 4.0, mm-hmm. which is what we're currently on right yep. now, um, has an IQ of about 155. Yeah. Einstein was at 160. Okay. <laughs> oh, wow. What do you yeah. make of that? Yeah. Pretty, pretty impressive. Yeah. Right. Um, a wealth of knowledge Mm -hmm. Um, and at the same time you have this AI um, large language model transformer architecture computer program that hallucinates as a result of of the design. How so? That's interesting. (laughs) So (laughs) so, um, hallucination is as as some of the folks in, who are leaders in the field have said it's more of a feature of the of these large language models um, in that they tend to um, bring things together that are not necessarily sensible to bring together. Interesting. Um, but they do so with confidence, right? Right. <laughs> the same way that we as humans hallucinate at times, right. it does. Um, and so you can 
adjust some of it, but you can't get rid of it completely. So hallucination is one of those open problems right now with these types of models. Yep. Um, another challenge, I would say, which is more concerning, is that you have, um, you know, I, I just mentioned that Einstein had an IQ of 160. You know, I think that Chad GPT is now um, on track to not only surpass that, but with the release of 5.0 mm -hmm. um, and some of the subsequent models, it's going to be orders of magnitude more. That's concerning on a number of fronts. Yeah. Because never in our lifetimes have we had the ability to create something without a knowledge of how it works yeah. um, have it be dispersed throughout all of you know the world Everywhere. in terms of a tool right Everywhere. it's it's prolific right yeah now. um what does that mean some of the research that's out there right now indicate that you know some of these models are so sophisticated that um they are becoming extremely smart in fact, NVIDIA just released a, a, a YouTube video that talks about that and some of the features that they were observing. Oh, wow. Um, things like pulling agents together, the uh -huh. sub-agents of a GPT right. with different roles. Um, it's almost like they're like communities. Are communities of wow. these things working together. Um, so they're becoming smarter and more collaborative. Correct. That's why. And so a lot of technical that, terms. Why? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so when all of that starts to happen without our firm understanding, I think uh, it's a bit of a challenge because sure. there's no telling where that can go. Right? Right. We've never seen intelligence at that level. Right. And here we are with the power to create it. Yeah. And it creates. But then it further intelligence abilities. Yeah. And so what does that mean? Where does it land? And so one of my areas of interest is in in uh, researching that topic. Yeah. Particularly around how does this, how can we, um, how can we determine what's happening in some of these uh, large language models? Right. Based on prompting. So yeah. by, based on prompt engineering, start off with two models yeah. that are precisely the same and then provide same prompts right. and, you would, and you would expect that yeah. it's going to go in a certain direction, look very much the same if those prompts are exactly the same all the way through. Wow, that's fascinating. If, if they're slightly off, what does that mean? How do they diverge? All of those questions are really complex. And, and do they problem solve? Do they problem solve? Interesting. So um, one thing I should mention is that what's fundamental as an algorithm within all of these large language models is ultimately all they're trying to do is complete sentences. Right. Right. They take in these, yeah. these words, words get tokenized, and then all of a sudden they're trying to predict what the next word would be. So it's really not very smart. Right. Right. It's just a very simple algorithm yep. to predict what that next word yeah. needs to be. And so when you get into that, you start um, anchoring a lot of this, these types of models into, into neural networks. 
maturing mm. these mathematical algorithms. Yeah. They just provide an input, right? And you have an output. Right. These are called layers. Okay. But in between those are all of these hidden layers they're called. Uh -huh. So you don't know what the relationships are that the computer is determining. But think of it as weights. Okay. So the computer is just trying to determine relationships between these and represent them with weights. And we don't know how that is done huh. because the computer is making all of its decisions as a result of wow. what the input is and the output. So you just let it run. That's so interesting. Yeah. So one one question, and then I, I'm busy man. I know I wait yeah. to get you moving. Mm -hmm. one, one question that I have is what are some of the best practices you've seen around managing our you know our students and teachers relationship to ai have you seen some of you know these best practices and the reason i ask this question is that um i did an interview a couple of years ago with ben farrell who's a, a building a school leader on the east coast and when chat gpt first emerged his initial reaction was to well, let's pull our community together let's see what we know about this and let's actually see if we can come up with some expectations and understandings of what it's for in this community, what it's not for in this community, and brought students in into that. <clears throat> but that seems like just, that's a very early sort of step, especially when I think about just since I interviewed Principal Farrell two years ago, where AI technology is gone. So what are some best practices either that you've seen or that you would recommend? It's a great question. So um, a couple of things. One is um, we're still in a very nation stage of all of this work. Yeah. Um, in fact, academia is lagging way behind corporate adoption and research. Interesting. And so when you think about should I should I be able to should I use AI in order to affect uh, student academic outcomes? Right. Chances are there's no research out there that indicates that because it's so new. Yeah. 4.0 is new. We don't know right. the difference between 3.5 and 4.0. Right. right. Other than the fact that the corpus of data that's being used is on the order of billions. Uh, right. In 4.0 versus 3.5. And is it accurate to say that corporate spaces have embraced possibilities where a lot of educational spaces have gone straight to, straight to sanctioning AI? Right, so I think about the AI detector that all of our professors warn us about in my PhD program. Yeah. Um, it's it's all there. We're gonna know if you used um, ChatGPT or another AI kind of generator and that kind of thing. Yeah. Would that be accurate to say? Yeah, I would say so. Um, I, I think the embrace has more been um, on the corporate side because they're looking at ways to to have a competitive edge and, and to increase revenue ultimately right. corporations. But because it's so brand new, there's not time for researchers. There's a great uh, report by Stanford University on AI that was just released. I think it was the state of AI in the nation. Um, and they talked about this very problem that uh, academia at all colleges across the nation are just lagging behind. Yeah. Or the research is not the type of research that is relevant for right. what, what's needed. Um, and so, yeah, there, there has been
very clear guardrails on the use of artificial intelligence and other advanced technologies. Yeah. Um, and that's policy EIAI. EIAI, all right. And it's an administration policy that talks that. about the use of that. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> ways that I've seen it used here, let's see, we've had, uh, I'm sure a number of teachers have been using AI. Um, the concern that we have, that I have from a from the uh, technology leadership perspective is, of course, um, data privacy agreements yeah. with any of these corporations. Sure. If they're not willing to sign one, I would strongly encourage folks to not engage in any sort of uh, partnership with those companies or, or working relationship with those companies. In fact, um, I served on a committee uh, that was created with the uh, Council of Great City Schools, Amazon Web Services, and Council of School Networks to create something called a K through 12. AI readiness checklist. I strongly mm. encourage you all, listeners, to be able to yeah, use absolutely. that as a resource when it comes to how to approach AI in education. Right. Um, and then we are at an early stage, and so we're working on forming together a cross-functional committee that would uh, really start looking at the benefits of AI in all aspects of education. Right. Operational schools, um, academics, and so on. That's this amazing stuff. And um, I just want to thank you. My mind is blown. Like, I'm really enjoying this conversation. And I know I want to uh, get you back to your day. Um, so we have the, the most important um, question that we ask here on the podcast. Um, me and hip hop grew up together, uh, kind of an older sibling, if you will. Um, and I know that hip hop's not a perfect family member. Um, but I love talking about music. I love getting insight in our guests in terms of the music that they listen to. I would love to know how this, uh, Venezuelan Trinidadian, um, looks at hip hop music. And if you have a top five rappers, Dr. Charles, let me um, let you think about that for a second. Um, some rules, first rules, there aren't really rules. Um, you can you can have a collective take one spot. So if you wanted to say, I don't know, uh, like our boss, Dr. Marrero, puts Wu-Tang Clan in his top, the whole clan in his top five, <laughs> um, that's acceptable. Um, our colleague, Aaron Thompson, was offended that uh, Dr. Marrero didn't include Lupe Fiasco in his top five. Mm. So that was fun to watch them kind of do that. So, so it can be a collective, it can be individuals. Um, it doesn't have to be rappers because we also know that hip hop has drawn from lots of other musical traditions in, over the span of its uh, 50 year lifetime. Um, and so it doesn't have to just be rappers <clears throat> and you can have ties if you would like. Um, finally, it doesn't have to be a hierarchical. Um, you can say these are these are the five. I'm not ranking them. These are the five. And lest anybody comes for Dr. Richard <laughs> Charles um i'm just gonna call you minister of information at this point um it's just a snapshot it can change yeah you can say well that's what i thought on that day on this day it's a little bit different so yeah um these are the these are the guardrails if you will um do you have top five i do i do <laughs> i do have uh i do have uh top five um i think you know growing up in queens new york yeah it was. I know I got so excited when you said Queens. Mom. Yeah. From from the get go, um, 
Wait, are they in your, in their they in top five? Oh, they're definitely okay. In the cool. Top five. So definitely sure. in the top five because they had such a, an influence. Eric B and Rakim. I don't know. I After don't my know. heart. <laughs> After my heart. I got Rakim as the top lyricist in the in the history of hip hop. So. Yeah, I mean, just phenomenal artist. Um, yeah. I actually was in the music uh, business for a bit in New York. Right I was now. gonna say I've seen you play music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was in the music business for a bit and. Uh, um, Shared some of the studio time with some of those folks as well. Is that so, right? Yeah. Oh, we yeah, got we all another, grew up in, another grew up interview. In, uh, another in, interview. <laughs> and all of that. That's beautiful. I got to get some ladies in there. So okay. I can say salt and pepper. Yes. Oh, I'm surprised in how there. infrequently salt and pepper comes up in these top fives. Got to have salt and pepper got in there. To. Got to. Um, Dougie Fresh is, is up there as well. Dougie Fresh, welcome to the top five. <laughs> welcome. Dougie Fresh and is so multi talented. Is that too. is that four? That's four. That's four. Man, it's, it's gonna be hard the fifth is always through. hard. This is the one that that always gets people thinking hard. Yeah, Jay Z, Jay Z's got to be in the top. I mean, Jay Z doing some incredible work, and honestly, so even today, and to be able to transcend generations like yeah. that, decades and decades. Was he say he's not a business man? He's a business man. Yeah. No, I and I've I've as I've gotten older, I didn't love his delivery and cadence when yeah. he first came out when yeah. I was like a second year college student. Um but watching the arc of his career has just been phenomenal. I I actually consider him one of my top five as well. Yeah. This is a fire top five, Dr. Charles. Um <laughs> So, uh, thank you so much for coming. Thank you on for taking the, show. the time. I, I really, really enjoyed it, this conversation, folks. Definitely check out the links. Um, get yourself a Prime number. Why not? That's and right. uh, and really, like the next time, educators, you hear somebody complain about math and say the math isn't for me. I'm just not good at math. Um, direct them to some of these possibilities. I've always viewed mathematics as this potentially universal language. Um, if we would just spend the time seeing what it's saying to us. Dr. Richard Charles, thank you for being on the Thank show. you, Gerardo. Pleasure, man. And That's awesome. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs>attention attention please attention please dedicated educators yo everyone knows that being an educator requires an incredible amount of time and effort making it tough to prioritize our own personal financial planning on top of that there are other things too that's why i want to introduce you to my guy um and his amazing partner a trusted financial planner who specializes in working with educators like us. Meet Alex Sierra, a certified financial planner with Satera Investors. He provides educators with planning for the most important financial milestones of their lives. He has a deep understanding of the important strategies related to teachers and our retirement, the school pension system and retirement programs specifically for teachers. By taking the time now to work with Alex, you can lay a solid foundation for your financial goals and secure a brighter future. Don't let the busyness of the school year hold you back from achieving your financial dreams. Alex's website um, is a place where you can go to learn more, www.toryandalex.sateerainvestors.com.
com slash two dope t-o-o-d-o-p-e to schedule an initial virtual consultation. And here's the best part. Mention the discount code 2DOPE during your first consultation to receive a 25% discount on their subscription-based financial planning packages. Click the link in the description section of this podcast for more information. Remember that your financial success is just as important as your student's success, so start putting together your financial plan today. Satera Investors is the marketing name of Satera Investment Services. Securities and insurance products are offered through Satera Investment Services, LLC. Doing insurance business in California is CFG STC Insurance Agency, LLC. Member FINRA slash SIPC. Advisory services are offered through Satera Investment Advisors, LLC. California insurance license number 0 L05650. Alexander Sierra is located at 155 North Lake Avenue, Suite 430, Pasadena, California, 91101, and can be reached at phone number 626-408-1333, extension 306.